Well, good morning. Glad you're here today. You can have a seat. I promise I'll let you visit later. Awesome. It is good to have you here today. Nahum 1.7 says, The Lord is good. He's a refuge. In times of trouble, He cares for those who trust in Him. From the time that we first uh, meet Jesus, from the, the moment we begin to take God at His word and take Him seriously, it makes sense to us, especially as we find our attention drawn to the cross, that God cares about us. After all, what more could anyone do than to, to give their son for us? That he cared so much about our spiritual state. And, and, and we look at the cross and we're drawn to it and its beauty and its significance and the, the depth of its meaning and it's amazing to us. And there's really little doubt in our minds that God is a caring God. And yet, then comes life and all of its daily stuff. It's the the cancers and the unemployment and the relationship stresses and all of that other stuff that makes us not turn away from the cross, but maybe to ask the question, if, if God cares this much about me, maybe, I don't know, should I be able to experience care in some of that daily stuff as well? I I, it, it feels almost like a disconnect at times to me. What, what's up with that? And I think that we've all been there maybe at one time or another. I was talking to someone recently, and he doesn't attend a church, and, and I said, so, hey, where are you with God and, and faith and that kind of stuff? And he said, uh, you know, I, I went to church and, as a kid, and I, I kind of believe that stuff. I, I, I think it's true. I... I'm just not sure it matters. And I thought, you know, that's actually a pretty good question. That's a pretty good point. Because we all believe things and then find that they're true, but they may or may not matter. I mean, it may sound silly, but, but uh, you know, most of us probably believe there's flesh-eating piranhas in the Amazon, but I couldn't think of a single time when it made any difference to any choice I'd ever made. And I can't imagine that it ever will. I don't know, unless God says, time to go to Brazil. Uh, We believe things, and we know that they may not impact our lives. So we face this struggle we know in the big picture, and maybe we have come to a place where we trust that God really cares about the big stuff, the eternity. What about that daily stuff? We, We have those questions at times. Now, if we could follow Jesus around, it would become a lot clearer for us. In fact, we can't do it physically, but we can in our minds today. Let's take a little tour. See, Jesus arrives on the scene, and he comes with the great, compassionate, the caring nature of God that is driving him and compelling him in how he lives and what he does and says. And so, with some stories that are familiar to most of you, let's take a little trip. Matthew 14, Jesus always traveling in a boat somewhere, and he lands on the shore, and he sees a large crowd. He has compassion on them, and he heals their sick. He sees a need, and he says, hey, let me take care of that. Let me heal the sick. In Mark chapter 6, he lands again, again, in a boat. Jesus in boats. I know some of you love boats. You love Jesus about that. He saw a large crowd. 
He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He looked at them and said, you know what? These people don't know how to live. They, they don't know what's up. They're, they're, they're subject to falsehood. And maybe that's true or maybe that's true in the latest fad and the next infomercial and whatever's coming your way. And well, they don't know. He's like, I want to I help them. I want to help guide them. I want to ground them in some things that are dependable and reliable. So he begins teaching them many things. They have a need. Let me do that. In Mark chapter 8, Jesus says to some people he's been teaching, I have, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. I want to I feed them. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a very long distance. I had a uh, job once where the, the guy I worked for would often tell us, now remember guys, God cares about everything in your life. And I was a Bible college student at the time, and it's a good thing to study the Bible and, and think about theology, but it also kind of messes with your mind a little bit. And so, you know, I remember standing back going, well, eh, it's kind of a nice sentiment, but I'm not so sure, you know, like, oh, God's so big and my daily stuff, so, you know, like, well, nice of you to try and encourage us. But then I see Jesus here in this instance. He cares about how far these people had to travel. How many of you uh, commute to Portland or farther? Oh, I'm so sorry for you. And, and Jesus is too. Now my commute, just to give you an idea, is nine-tenths of a mile, and I've got one stoplight. So a bad commute is when the light is red, and a good commute is when the light is green. It's really pretty simple. But Friday, I had to run to Portland and pick something up at a store... And I thought about it. I'm like, okay, so this takes about an hour done many times. Uh, you know, the bridge is shut down, and our neighbors over there have just gone crazy. They're putting light rail on every piece of pavement they can find, and it just, you know, there's gridlock, and the lights won't change, and one car gets through at a time, and like, I'm two hours into this trip just wanting to scream. Like, ah, I can't handle this. Jesus actually cares about that stuff. He cares about your commute, you know? He's like, get these people some, can we get some coffee in here for them? Do you want to turn the chair around in front of you and put your feet up? I mean, this is hard stuff. He cares about your commute. He cares about the things... In your life, and, and the people around Jesus, they caught on to this. There's one day he, uh, he comes across a funeral procession in Luke chapter 7, and there's this young man who's died, and of course, seems natural. Okay, he's back alive, and now it's not a funeral procession. They're going into town dancing, and it says, They're filled with awe, and they praise God. A great prophet has appeared among us, he, they said. God has come to help his people. They were convinced. A little time with Jesus, and they were like, you know what? It's not just a principle. It's not just a verse in the Old Testament. I mean, who's even heard of Nahum? What is that about? Who was Nahum? But, you know, there it is. God cares. They're like, we get it. It's true. He does. We can see it. God cares. Now, notice this interesting thing about the prophet thing. Now, Jesus, of course, at this time, he's being kind of, 
stealthy. He's being kind of quiet about the whole deity thing. He's like, eh, I'm not going to talk about that yet. You know, you'll, it'll just freak you out. And I need you to listen to me, you know. So he's a, he's a man walking around. And so they see that. And that's what they can conclude. And they're like, well, it must be a prophet. Now catch this. They see him and they say it's a prophet. But their conclusion is not about him, but that God cares about their lives. They're able to receive something from him, give praise to God, and conclude, I know God cares. That's a paradigm we need to get into our heads and to practice and to think about. We're convinced. Now, this was great for disciples. It was great for crowds that could follow Jesus around or that he would run into. Great for the disciples. But Jesus, of course, he goes to the cross. He comes back to life on three days later, and uh, he spends 40 more days with the disciples, but eventually he's like, uh, I'm out of here, I'm going back to, into the presence of my Father in heaven, I, I'm leaving you again, and so now what? Are we stuck, unable to experience God's care anymore? Well, not at all. He takes Peter aside before he returns to heaven, and uh, a little complicated uh, situation here because Peter has been kind of boastful and proud. I'm not, I'll never deny you, Jesus, but then he does, and so there's some shame there and forgiveness that's taken place. And that's in this conversation, too. We're not going to talk about that today. But Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Because he wants to give Jesus, uh, Peter another chance to demonstrate that he does love him. And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, well, then here's what I want you to do with your life. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you, Peter, and you disciples, to take my place. Now, cross, that's done. You don't have to take my place. Everybody only needs one Savior. That's me, Jesus says. But you know how I've been walking around the countryside and people have this thing where they go, whoa, it's true. God cares. It's like, that's what I want you to do. I want you to convince people of that. Take my place, Peter. And Peter and the apostles, I don't know what it was like for, for Jesus to say, hey, take my place. It sounds a little intimidating, but I don't know, maybe a few days later and Jesus is gone, they're thinking, well, you know, it sort of makes sense a little bit. It's a little intimidating, but, but there's 12 of us and we could take care of more sheep than Jesus alone. He was one person, and there's 12 of us, and we can fan out, and we can go across the world, and, you know, it kind of makes sense, and they spend their lives doing that. But even then, Peter realizes he's at the end of his life. He writes a book, 1 Peter 5. If you have a Bible, open that to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at the first seven verses here. won't be on the screen. Let me read that for you, though. To the elders among you, Peter says, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility 
toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because it's true. It's a truth that you can experience every day. It's true that God cares for you. Peter passes on the plan. And we can see that. That God, uh, in his compassionate nature, has has a way for us to kind of taste that. To see that it's true and experience it. I think his plan could be stated this way, that we would all experience his compassionate nature, that he's, he's a caring God. But we're going to experience that in a, in a big way through the attentive care of faithful people. Some people are going to watch over us. Some people are going to care about us, help take care of us, encourage us, support us. And they're going to be people of faith who inspire faith in us. And this is God's plan so that we could be convinced that he cares about us. Now, in 1 Peter 5, you probably noticed the term elders. Here at Gateway, whether it's our legal documents or our publications and what we put out in the lobby and so forth, we don't really talk about elders. We don't specifically label that, but you could, you could imagine, in a way, our pastoral staff kind of are elders. But that's just the position, the ministry of shepherds. That's held by many, many people here at Gateway. Sometimes that's in a ministry team, and the person leading that and directing that, the the people in that team receive a lot of shepherding, a lot of care from that team leader. But for most of us, the way we want you to experience that is is in a group. We call them grow groups because we're trying to grow relationships. We're trying to grow spiritually encouraging relationships that you need in your life. And that's the way we have in mind that most of you will receive this. So we want to think about that today. Maybe you're a group leader, a team leader of some kind. Maybe you're in a group. Maybe you're not in one. But we want to think about the possibilities of how this could encourage your life today. First of all, how are we going to make this plan work? How can we work it for all it's worth? First of all, we've got to choose to engage the plan. We've got to get with it. When I was in high school... I, uh, I think it was a freshman or a sophomore, I know, because I couldn't drive yet. And there was a youth leader who, uh, invite, who wanted to have lunch with me. And he's like, come over to my house. I'll pick you up. Uh, and youth leaders are always broke. So he's like, bring your own lunch, by the way. Um, and bring a sandwich. And, and uh, so I'm waiting about a week for this appointment. And I'm just like, oh, no. What did I do? I can't figure out, you know, why am I in trouble? I don't understand what I did wrong. And I'm like, well, maybe it's that. Or maybe he wants to talk to me about that. And I just felt this big ominous thing. And he picks me up. And we go over to his house. And, you know, there's nothing happening there. And, you know, we get out one little sandwich. And we eat the sandwich. And, you know, it's like uh, sports. And 49ers were really good back then. And, you know, uh, I don't know. What, what classes are you in? And what did you think about church last week? And then he's like, oh, I better get you back to school. And he drops me off. And I'm like, huh, that's it? That's it? I was so terrified I'd done something wrong. I totally missed what he was really trying to say by action, not in words. Just, hey, I'm, I'm here for you. What's going on in your life? I'm, I'm available for you. I 
totally missed it. <laughs> we got to engage the plan. First of all, let's think about uh, what he says for shepherds, Peter does. Verse 2, he says, Be shepherds of God's flock that's under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. A couple important words we could consider for a few moments. First of all, willing. He's talking about people who are willing to assume this, uh, this privilege, this responsibility, this opportunity. Uh, I don't know if you have a lot of church background. You've got to kind of get out of your mind the thinking of committees or meetings. This isn't about meetings. This isn't about representing a group of the church or something like that. This is about people. This is about something that God would compel you to do and that you say, I'm willing to do it. That's what God's looking for. This isn't even about us needing leaders. Now we do. About two-thirds of the people who come to Gateway, whether that's children, students, or adults in grow groups, have a small group experience where there's someone that's like a shepherd to them, or at least can be to them. Right now, the, the kids next door after their large group time, there's a leader for them in, in small group that watches over them, gets to know them. They're doing that right now. About two-thirds of us have that. So that tells you right away we need more shepherds. But it's not even about our need. It's about his God compelling you to do this. He says, when you're willing, when God says, I want you to do this, it's what it's about. The other word is being watchful. Now, I don't know what it sounds like for someone to be watching you. I don't know if that sounds like a positive thing or a negative thing. The first image that came to my mind is like driving down the road. (laughs) And someone with lights on top of their car is watching you. You kind of maybe, for some of you, negative emotions. (laughs) Well, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about shepherds. How do shepherds watch over sheep? Lovingly, compassionately, caring, protecting, in your interest. That's the kind of watchfulness he's talking about. Uh, some of you who are leaders uh, recently were able to view a, a little video from Pastor Bob online, and you heard about a, a study that was done uh, not too long ago about uh, small groups and churches, and uh, studying what makes for the really thriving groups. When, when you take a few Christians, a dozen or so, and you put, put these people together, and they're trying to follow Christ, what makes that group thrive? And I don't know what you would think, well, what would be the number one thing? And and it didn't have to do with the leader's gender. It wasn't male or female. It wasn't even their gifting, like, oh, an encourager or a teacher. I mean, our groups really aren't about teaching anyway. And, you know, it wasn't about gifting. And I don't know, maybe you think of a lot of other things that it wasn't. The number one thing to make a group thrive was a leader who prays for every person in their group. And of course, right away, you're like, oh, I would have thought of that. (laughs) Like, oh, that's so obvious. It's so simple. But it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if if you're praying for the people you're shepherding, obviously, you're taking them before God. That is an incredible thing and a powerful thing. But what happens when we pray for something? We care about it more. And that produces an impact that helps that group thrive. If you're a group leader uh, and you already pray for your people, well done. If you haven't done that, that would be the best thing you could do is to begin to pray for every person in your group every day. 
It's, it's a watchfulness and a willingness. Now, for sheep, he says, verse 5, you've got to submit to your elders, to your shepherds. I know some of you are like, I don't like that word, submit. So I thought of how can I help them, and this is what I came up with. Get over it. Sorry, I know that sounds really callous, but you know we get so bound up as though this means something awful for us. Let me point out to you that this does not say, you will be submitted. This was something that's going to happen to you and you will be dominated and controlled. And I realize that can happen in some environments in life and especially on this earth. But that's not what the verse says. This is something that you can choose to do, not something done to you. See, you all, Peter says, I recommend that you submit yourself to an elder. Now, it's really just allowing someone to influence your life. And we do that all the time. You pick friends. You choose friends. You relate to them. A part of what's happening in that relationship is you're allowing some people to influence you more than others. I mean, we'll drive down the road, turn on the radio, and listen to some guy talk on and on about politics or finances or celebrities and give them influence in our lives to where we start thinking like they think. We give influence. We, we are around a culture that, again, we have to be careful with this, but for good or for ill, it impacts us. It influences at times. I think Peter is just saying, hey, come on. If there were someone that God led out of his good, caring nature to watch over your life and pray for you and encourage your faith, are you saying that wouldn't be a great thing? He's like, choose that. Grab that if you can get it. Allow that influence in your life. What an awesome thing. Now, understand, though, he's saying that the responsibility is yours. This is your choice. It's your responsibility, if you're not in a group, to say, yeah, I'd like that. If you're in a group, it's your responsibility to say, I'm the only one who can let someone else know the real me. Ever think about that? If anyone's going to know the real you, you're the only one who can make that decision. It's your choice. It's your responsibility. Here's the question I would ask you to think about this week. Does someone know you well enough to pray about the most important things in your life? Here's what it comes down to. It's got to get to the most important things. How many of you were able to come to uh, any portion of the 24 hours of prayer Friday night through Saturday afternoon? Quite a lot of you. It was awesome. It was fun to come in here any time, night or day, and and, and realize that whether there was one person there or eight, you know, five, ten, that in this place there was this nonstop attention on God for our benefit. It was just cool to be around, whether you were in the prayer time or not. It, it was awesome. When we had this, if you weren't here, we had this um, guide of prayer requests that was like four or five pages long. It, it was a lot. In some ways, it was kind of overwhelming, but it was very cool all at the same time to be praying for each other and the whole, the whole church. I noticed in that guide that there were a lot of health concerns, and that can be overwhelming. Now, here's, a, here's the interesting thing about praying for health. There are times... 
And I know this personally, so don't think I'm putting this down. There are times when your health or someone's health is absolutely the biggest, most important thing in your life. And people should pray for that. And then there are times, and let me just say, and it may not be the most important thing, but it's still always valuable to ask people to pray for that. It's a good thing. It's never something you should say, well, I don't want to ask for prayer and a health thing. You always should ask for that. But I also know firsthand that sometimes having a health prayer request is real and appropriate to pray for, but I also kind of like it because I can ask you to pray for that instead of the other thing. Instead of that most important thing. That thing maybe I'm not sure I want you to know. We've got to get to the most important thing. Does someone know you well enough to do that? Last, uh, <clears throat> last summer, Mike Collins was, was teaching us about, I think it was last summer, last year sometime, he was teaching us about talking to our children, and he, he recommended the phrase when you talk to him to say, and what else? Does that sound familiar to you guys? That's, is that it? Okay. And what else? You talk to someone, and you're like, because we're so layered, that if you give people a chance, and if you say, oh, that's interesting, and what else is going on? And I think that's just a great concept to apply to praying for each other. I'd be glad to pray for that. And what else? Until we get to the most important things that God would have us support each other in. All right. It's the first thing. Second is to serve and be served. No surprise. Talk about it all the time. Not a surprise today that we'd be talking about serving one another. Last week, we, uh, we saw this incredible video about some people for whom definitely health is, is their big thing in their life right now. Several people um, in, in various stages of fighting cancer. And uh, it, was, it was a great video, challenging, heart-wrenching, warming, you know, all kinds of things all at once. And, and uh, Steve Yotta was one of those guys, and he intrigued me with some, something he said. He talked about all this stuff that people had done for him. If you were here last week, you might remember Steve talking about he'd go to a, a, an appointment, and when he got back from the doctor's appointment, there'd be dinner on the doorstep or lunch on the doorstep. Somebody just brought it and was like, oh, you're going to need this. And uh, someone, someone took down his Christmas lights. It's just <laughs> touching and uh, I don't know, there was just all kinds of stuff, driving him to appointments, and, and which someone did for me as well when I broke my ankle. But, but uh, there was all this stuff, so I'm thinking, all right, I think I can see through this. I'm like, I know what's happening, Steve. So I sent him an email, I'm like, Steve, tell me the truth. How much of all that good stuff where you looked at it and you experienced it and said, my, my church family loves me, and God cares about me. How much of that stuff was done by the pastors here at Gateway? Well, let's just say that a zero batting average is not very good. <laughs> I'm like, and how much of it was done by people in your group, in your grow group? He's like, yeah, almost all of it. Now, you could look at that and on one level go, what's wrong with our pastors? And we've got things wrong with us, no mistake. But... And while that's a little troubling on one level, I know we could like dissect that a little bit. I would rather move past that. But anyway, 
let me, let me just say, you do not want to depend on us for all that daily stuff. We would let you down. We just wouldn't be enough. You need more than we can give you. You absolutely need more attention, more prayer, more care. And we've prayed for Steve, and we love Steve. We admire his character. We value what he's contributed here to the church family. We absolutely love him and pray for him. We just would, we're not good enough. He needs more than that, and he's experienced it in his group. All right, I'm totally lost. What are we doing? Service. Service is such a great thing because it just screams this message. When we get into a scenario where we're serving one another, how, how loud is it in your, in your head that God cares about you, right? It gets translated that way so easily, and, and that's how it happened with Jesus. That's what we're to experience as well. One of the things I love about what, what Jesus demonstrates for us is that there is complete continuity in his mind Between the cross, which of course we never have to do again, that's taken care of, but between the cross and a cup of cold water, they are the same thing to him. He talks about how he loves when his people give someone else a cup of cold water. Are you serious? You think that's valuable, Jesus? He's like, absolutely, it comes from the same place. It comes from the caring nature of God. When that's where it comes from, I love that stuff. I'm going to talk about cups of cold water in heaven. <laughs> I'm going to say, I saw you give one. I, I know. You, cup of cold water right here. I saw it. He, he loves it. And to me, it's like, really? Cold water? Does anyone? No, I already drank out of it. Okay, now I'm really rambling. Shepherds. Verse 2, he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Uh, The dishonest gain part, that's kind of for pastors, and sometimes, you know, we stumble on that. Ministry is not about money. We need to get that into our heads. Uh, Group leaders, I know you're not really there for for money. You're not going to think you're getting rich off your girl group, so we're pretty safe there. But he says, be eager to serve. This is what it's about. Shepherding is about the practical needs of sheep. Shepherding is about being the first to step out and and take care of things. Like, what do people need? Oh, they need someone to listen. I mean, there's a great shortage of listening. There's lots of talking. There's very little listening. People need that. Be the first to listen. Be the first to give. Be the first to help. That's what you do. Now, I know if you're, if you're a shepherd in some way, you might think, wow, you know, I got eight people or I got 15 people. That. When they get going, talking about the things to pray about, it overwhelms me. And you know what? That's all right. You're not supposed to take care of it because the other thing you do while you're first and you're eager to serve, really you're a facilitator. You're listening and you're watching. You're like, oh, so you need, you know what you need? You need what she's really good at. Can, can you guys talk for a minute? And you, you know what? I know what you really need right now is what this person is good at. And let's, let's have you spend some time together. And let's, you know, and you get the idea. You're facilitating serving. And then for sheep, it's going to take humility. Verse 5, all of you, he says, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now, we could do a lot of things with this verse. But in the context of group life and and serving each other, I just think, you know, 
there's got to be humility. We're not going to get anywhere without it. Think again about those core needs. Listening. It takes humility to tell you the most important thing in my life. It takes humility to, to say, hey, your stuff's important. Let me listen to you. Ever known a, a really proud, good listener? <laughs> I don't think so. How about friendship? Who celebrates life with you? Who's really glad for your victories and your blessings? Uh, not proud people. Proud people are like, Ugh, how come I never get courtside tickets? <laughs> How come, you know, how come I didn't get a raise? How come I lost my job and they got, you see, it doesn't happen. Only humble people can be like, good for you. I am so happy for you that that blessing came into your life. Well done. Praise God. Whatever it is, I'm so glad about that. It's only humble people can do that. How about when we need to be helpful in in a really practical way? Again, it takes humility to defer your own schedule. Here's the question I'd ask. Where could you uh, maybe humble yourself a little more, but towards, a, towards an awesome end, where other people could experience more of God's care, and you would experience more as well, because you're letting someone know you and know who you are, both in giving and receiving. We won't get there without humility. And the last thing today is to inspire faith, to inspire faith. Think about it. I mean, what is this really about, what we're doing here? Isn't it it true that uh, the more you trust God, the better off you will be? Let's say, uh, this is a strange formula, let's say last last week you were able to trust God with 43 things. And next week, you'd be able to trust him with 62 things. I would argue that you're going to be in a better place. It may not be smoother, quieter, more comfortable, but you'll be in a better place trusting God with more things or to a greater level. That's the way life works. But here's the thing. You can't make people have faith. And you can't make them do the right thing. Even God doesn't do that. Think about the times when uh, God even gets pretty forceful. You know Jonah? Jonah was told to go east to Nineveh. He went west. So he gets thrown off the boat. Big fish swallows him. Where does the fish take him? Does it take him, you know, around Africa, swim up a river till he's at Nineveh and spits him out in the moat around the city? No. He takes him back. The fish takes him back to where he started, spits him up on the beach where God can say, and now are you ready to go east? It's still his choice. God's still calling us to trust him. Even when he gets really forceful with us. You don't skip the step of trusting him. Now in verse 3, for shepherds, Peter says, don't lord it over those entrusted to you. You need to be examples to the flock. You need to find a way to inspire faith, not force faith. Notice in the, in the whole section there, there was the mention of a chief shepherd, and that's kind of good news for, for us who are shepherds. It's like, whew, not really in charge. There's a chief shepherd, right? We're, we're working for him. But it can be tempting at times to just tell people what to do or tell people to have faith. 
or to create a culture where faith is demanded. Now understand, to create a culture where faith is recognized as a good thing and maybe expected, that's great, but we've got to be really, really careful not to force that. Shepherds are to model their faith, to inspire others towards it. Because we know children, it's true with children, it's true with adults, we grow best when we have choices and someone points out for us and tells us about the best option for us, the healthy option, the godly path. And we embrace that and we grab it and we go that direction. That's when we grow. Sheep. Sheep in verse 6 and 7, again with humility. Something about this. Peter must have learned something somewhere. <laughs> Humility is good for us. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, lots of different things make us anxious, but I was thinking particularly about doubt. When your faith is weak, what do you do? Sometimes I think we're, we're tempted when our faith is weak to just get louder or, 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 you know, so people won't notice. Or maybe we withdraw, you know, so you won't be able to see that my faith is weak. And we, and we kind of don't know what to do when we're anxious and we have doubts. Our tendency is to hide those things. But imagine an environment where people don't lord it over you and they don't condemn you and they don't demand a response, but they inspire you and they point in a direction to where you can go, you know what, I love it when you do that. I love it when you talk about the way you choose to follow God because it makes me think, that's what I want to do. That's what we're looking for. I mean, isn't it true that the goal for all of us is to move from places of lesser faith to greater faith? And it kinda, we, we start in a place of no faith. We don't trust God at all. We don't know him. We meet him. We begin to trust him. And he's saying, trust me with more. So when I think about that scale, it, it, it makes something really obvious. And that is, wherever we are, there is some... You could define it as a place of lesser faith than we need to be. Which means doubt needs to be an acceptable topic. Because God works with the person you really are. Do you know who God wants a relationship with? Not the person that people can see on the outside or that you put out there in front of some people, I don't, I don't know. He wants to relate to the person that you really are. He works in the arena of truth. That's who he wants to meet with this week. That's who he wants to talk with this week. Now, this topic, because, because we hide so well, it's too big for us possibly to, to even possibly get anywhere right now. And so, good news is that uh, Pastor Bob is starting a new series next week on this very topic it's called Unmasked. Are you hoping he wears that? <laughs> See, every service, everyone's like, oh, I hope so. But be careful, because he might bring some for you, too. But it's true. We're really good at hiding. But somewhere, someone needs to deal with the real us to encourage us. 
And so for the next five weeks, Pastor Bob will be talking about being unmasked, some great topics. It's going to be good for us, maybe challenging, maybe even intimidating at times. But listen, on the other side is a God who cares about you saying, I want the real you. That's who I wanted. I didn't want some prettied up, polished picture who isn't true. You know, it's not true of what you are. And just go to church on Sunday and then do whatever you want. He's like, I want the real you. It's going to be great next five weeks. Be here next weekend. The question we can think about as, as we finish this point is, how can other people inspire your faith? Think about that. What are the best things that people can do to, to make you want to follow Christ? And let them know that. If you're in a group, you know, talk about that. Say, hey, I love it when we talk in this way because I know the next week that's going to encourage me to follow Christ. Think about that. How can that help you? And how can that guide you in helping other people as well? So you know what's coming. If you're not in a group, we're just saying, that's how you're going to experience care around here is to get in a group. Uh, on your way out, we've moved the Grow Group kiosk, which is almost always out in the lobby, but it's front and center this week because there's a chance for you to meet some leaders, for you to learn a little more, and maybe take a step towards saying, yeah, I, I need some people around me. I need somebody to shepherd me. I need some people to support me and pray for me and know the real me. That's a possibility for you today. If you think God might be calling you to be a shepherd, and you might be willing, maybe, come talk to us. We need more shepherds. And then as we finish today, remember this. I thought about this pretty carefully this week, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but as far as I can tell, God has never personally, God has never personally driven anyone to a doctor's appointment. God ha- doesn't have a freezer, as far as I know. He doesn't keep a, a frozen meal in there for exhausted parents of a newborn. God bless you. May you sleep tonight. Uh, As far as I know, he doesn't do it. He's never given as, as desperately as sometimes we want it. I don't know that he's ever given any of us physically a hug. He's not going to give you a birthday party. He he doesn't have a bank account. He's not going to write you a check for that medical bill, your utility bill. He's not going to come to the hospital and physically hold your hand. He's not going to babysit your kids. And yet, every day, people receive those blessings and rightly conclude that God cares. Don't. Please don't miss it. Let's pray. Father, again, we, uh, we worship you and we praise you for your heart. This is where it starts. Your heart, and we see it in the cross. And we are forever grateful and focused on the cross. And it's a, it's a marvel to us. We thank you for Jesus who... Uh, was passionate about a cup of water as well. Sometimes, Father, we cry out for some attention. And your heart wants to provide that. Father, I pray you would help us to take up this challenge of caring for one another. Just as Peter has asked it to happen. Just as Jesus had asked him. 
And Father, we pray that uh, as we do that, you will always be praised and we will always rightly conclude that God cares. We thank you so much for that promise and that truth today in Jesus' name.